0: listening to the podcast of Always Forward, the church planting initiative of the Anglican Church
1: in North America, helping plant gospel-centered, sacramental, missional churches. For more information and resources, please visit always-forward.com.
0: Hey, church planters, Canon and Dan back with you again this week with another episode of the Always Forward podcast, where we talk about Church planting from an Anglican perspective. So we talk about it from a missional standpoint, liturgical, sacramental, historical church standpoint. Um, And this week I have what I think is a gift for you. Um, Because I'm not interviewing anyone this week. I want to share with you what some of you, if you were in, if you were in Denver with us this past year at the Always Forward Conference, um, have already gotten to hear once. But, uh, if you weren't there, this will be your, this will be your first time. And if you were there, you'll want to hear this again because. What we are sharing with you today is uh, is the talk given by Kempton Jackson at the Olies Forward Conference 2022 in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and Kempton is a church planter at Resurrection Anglican Church in the Santa Fe area, and he is uh, a hero of mine. He's he is a normal church planter doing. Difficult work in a difficult place and doing a great job at it. Um, and he's just a, a joy to be around. And the, the love of Jesus is apparent in him and his, uh, his hunger for the, for those who don't know Christ is clear when you're with him. And his love for the church is, uh, is abundantly evident when you're with him as well. And so all of these things come together to make him a great church planter. He's a part of the Wellspring Church Planting Network as well. And so it has a lot of support as well. So Kempton is, um, he was born in the Navajo reservation and in Arizona, uh, but grew up in New Mexico and then went back to be able to plant in New Mexico as well. And so, I'm not going to give you a lot of heads up about what he's going to talk about. Um we just want to share it with you. Now he does have some nice things to say about always forward as well, which which we're which we're pleased about, but not why we're sharing this. I mean honestly, uh there were a couple of times at the conference during his talk as he shared um that I was I was fighting back tears myself um just because of his uh his passion and his wisdom that he has to bring. So Without further introduction, let me hand you over in the digital world to Kempton's talk from the 2022 Always Forward Conference. And hopefully this will pique your interest a little bit uh, as well to the 2023 conference, which is going to be here in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I am as well, um, at the cathedral here. Um, and so we invite you to already start thinking about that and praying about that and coming next year. But, um, For now, just rest your thoughts, um, turn your ears towards Kempton Jackson and what the spirit had to say to the church through him.
1: Billy, after he talks, I'm going to, we're just going to be done because I'm always done after Billy talks. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you for, for that, Billy. It was incredibly hard to leave, incredibly hard to leave. Um, I can't talk about it anymore. I I will really lose it. Um, Well, thank you, Billy. Thank you for always forward for asking me to talk. I'm thankful, humbled, scared to do this, but thankful. Well, uh, I'm married to Carissa. We have three kids. Uh, Yiska's four, Yonaba's three, and Thaddeus is one. And Carissa loves, she lives in the birth world. And so she loves telling her birth stories, and it's often with tears she tells her story and hears the stories, and I sit there and I feel like I'm being left out. But then I thought this week, I have a birth story, and it's resurrection. So Carissa really has four birth stories. I have one birth story, but my story is, um, my birth story is resurrection. And Carissa has been a co-planter. All the way through this, she's been with us, and so she's given birth to this as well. Um, So we planted out of wellspring, uh, 2019, we were sent out in September, right at the beginning of the month, and we had plans to do a parachute plant, and for the first year, to just get to know Santa Fe and gather a launch team. That was the plan. And then six months later, everything changed. Because in March 2020, everything shut down, and we had plans to get to know people, and I like going slow, and so I was going slow and slow, and then all of a sudden, everything's closed. And we had to think really quickly, what are we going to do? And I'm so thankful that the first week, no churches did anything of March 2020 when everything shut down. And Carissa and I were talking, we're like, if we don't do something now, we might have a really hard time starting this later. And so we called the few just barely past acquaintances we had in Santa Fe. It was about five families. And we asked them, will you join us? on Zoom for church, because no other churches are doing anything. So will you join us? I didn't say join our church. I didn't say resurrection, Anglican, nothing like that. I just said, will you join us Sunday mornings? And so that's really how we started. We jumped right into a full service, no Eucharist, of course, because we're all virtual. But we started with a full service, and the first service I thought was pretty good. But a few months later, one of the people who joined us said, Kempton, we're going to join Res, and he was laughing when he said it, so that was good because it lessened this, but he said, that first service was really bad, really bad. And I look back, I don't know what I was thinking, but my first sermon for our church, I was sitting on the floor, like cross-legged. And I look back, and I'm thinking, what was I thinking? Proclaiming God's word, and I'm sitting on the floor, what was I thinking? So there were, there were all these mistakes, but we knew we had to do something. And so we started on Zoom. We did that for about four months, and then we moved to somebody's backyard. We had all the kids with us. And if I had to learn to preach with distractions, I had the best school of that, because all of our kids were there, and as I was preaching, there was this hill behind us at this backyard, and I would see everybody's eyes moving, watching my son as he led the other boys throwing rocks at the house, and trying to pull up cactus, and doing all these things. And so that was the first four uh, months of getting together in our backyard, then we moved to our backyard which was a really hard time for us. We moved to another backyard, and then finally we moved to a courtyard of a church because our people didn't want to go inside. And so we froze outside until the end of December. And we finally moved inside of this Assemblies of God church, and we've been meeting there ever since. We thought we'd be there a few months, but it's turned into now uh, a year and a half of being in a large, but mostly dirty, and not very pretty youth room where we hear the Pentecostal, Anglican, Pentecostal, Assemblies of God Church under us, praising the Lord very loud in tongues every Sunday during my sermons. So we have three churches meeting at this one place, and uh, that's, that's what we've been doing the past few years. A lot of moves, but through it all, as I, as I thought about our last class for newcomers, which was a few months ago, I, I was preparing for it, and I thought through all these moves, which could really hurt a small church plant, God's presence has been with everyone, The people who have stayed with us, the people who have visited have said, we feel a presence of God here. And I think to myself, when the music's bad, when the preaching is really shaky, when I lose myself in the liturgy and the kids are crying, when people come up and say, I felt the presence of God here today. And I think to myself, I can't produce that. I have nothing to do with that. And there's no better compliment than I could hope for, for our church. And so that's where we are today, and we, we still meet there. We're hoping to meet somewhere else, and you'll hear some of, more of that story as we move along. But that's the birth story for me, Resurrection Anglican. And as Molly said, I did start um, with Always Forward when they were just starting out. Um, it's like 2016 or 17 at Wellspring, at their old location. Billy asked me to go to, the, uh, to, to this Always Forward, and I had no idea what it was, what it was going to be about. But he said, just try it, and we'll talk about it. So I came, and this has to go with Dan's You Are Seen. So I came to Wellspring, and there's a beer garden. I came from um, non-denominational and uh, Assemblies of God churches. You do not drink in those churches. And I came, and there was a beer garden, and people were having fun and doing all these things that I thought you weren't supposed to do as a Christian, at least where I grew up. And so I was standing by the road, kicking rocks, basically, but Dan came up. I don't even know if you remember this. We've never talked about this. And he talked to me for like 10 or 15 minutes. And I thought, this guy is really nice. This, this big, blonde, southern man is talking to me and asking me questions about myself. And I just feel like an outsider. And then we come into Wellspring. We came in for worship. And Dan walks up. And I'm like, oh, he's the leader of this thing. And he saw me. He came and sought me out. Because I'm kicking rocks along the street here, not knowing who to talk to or what to do. But he saw me from the beginning, and that is what I felt in planting in the Anglican church. And in this group of always forward, that's what I've had. From the the very bottom to where I am now, which is the bottom middle, I have felt (laughs) seen. I have felt heard. And I've seen over and over again from that very first always forward that it felt like the power of the gospel is here. The reality of the resurrection is really believed. The presence of the Holy Spirit in worship. Over and over again, I felt that. And I hadn't felt that in a really long time. I grew up, I'm Navajo, came from the Navajo reservation. And I grew up going to churches that were mostly Pentecostal, very charismatic on the reservation, because that's what natives are. That's what much of the rest of the world is. And I grew up going to church with my grandparents. We didn't know how long it was going to be, whether it was going to be two hours or three hours. In a way of protesting, my grandpa would take in a seven-up, uh, seven six-pack case, we just keep opening them up But every hour in his protest of saying, how long is this going to go? But I went to those churches. <laughs> I went to those churches, and my grandma, who would be shuffling around the house all week, would go to church with her tambourine, and all of a sudden she could move. And she'd be dancing around and beating it on her thigh, and her curls are coming out, and she's sweating along with all these other grandmas and those grandma's shoes that look like, how do they move in those? But that's what I grew up in, where the parking lots were full, and if it was muddy, if it rained, you better have four-wheel drive or you will not get out of the parking lot. But the parking lot is full, and the children's area is full and very dirty. I remember playing with dirt and building castles basically in our children's area because it's just, it's the reservation. And this is how life is. But people go to church because life is so hard that the reality of the resurrection has to be real. The power of the gospel is believed and the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. That's what I grew up in. And so coming to Always Forward in Anglicanism it felt to me like This is what I've known, and I've longed to find this again. But it fit me even better than than that did in some ways. And that's what I found. That's what I want to talk about this morning. It's the soul of the movement, our souls, but also what I've observed as the soul of this movement. I did not run this by Dan and Molly. This is just all my observations. But it's come come to me from Luke 10. They're a little nervous because they don't know where I'm going with this. But I speak here as, as Chuck, is his name Chuck? Chuck Thompson spoke earlier. Kurt. Kurt. I speak as a professional sinner just like him, as an oftentimes failure in this church planting. And I speak as a practitioner, but I also speak as a priest in Christ's holy, one apostolic church. And I am going to share from that experience now from Luke 10. And so if this feels a little bit like a sermon, I'm not preaching tomorrow, so maybe that's why. But I think there are three imperatives that are in this text in Luke 10 that I've seen as the soul of this movement is always forward in church planting and Anglicanism, and that is to go, we're sent, don't get distracted, focus on the message and the mission, and lastly, and most importantly, to abide in Christ through whatever you're going through, abide. And so in Luke 10, you don't have to turn there. I'll just be skipping around in Luke 10. says this in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Whenever I read after this or therefore, I think, okay, what is this coming after? Luke 10 comes after Luke 9. And so if you look at Luke 9, what happens in Luke 9 is, as we all know, Jesus sends out the 12. And they come back and report all the good things that have happened. But then later in Luke 9, we hear about all of their foibles. They um, have this argument, who's the greatest among us? And then there are some Samaritans who don't welcome them like they should. And so they ask, should we send down fire on these foreigners? And it's like, gosh, they just don't get it. And we see all these mistakes they make. And Jesus doesn't shrink back and say, okay, let's, let's regroup. Let's try something else out. Let's not send any more out. Jesus' answer in Luke 10 is to send out six times more disciples. Six times more out. It's risky. He doesn't play it safe and pull back. He sends out six times more. 36 more towns are going to be reached by these 72 He doesn't shrink back, we've seen their foibles, and it says to me, and what I've experienced in this, in Anglicanism, is that everybody is sent. Anybody can do this, no matter how many mistakes we make. We should learn, we should be trained, but no matter where we are, we're sent. Those people in our church where we kind of think, they're kind of a liability because they're kind of socially awkward, I don't want our new visitors to meet this person. Oh, they went to them first. Oh, gosh. Take them away and take them to someone who's a little bit more stable. <laughs> Even those people, God can use anybody. We're called. We're called along with them. He could use anybody. We don't shrink back, we send out more, we train more. So that's the first thing. 36 more towns are going to be touched. And he says here, he sends them out where Jesus is about to go. We are sent out. Of course, the Spirit is ahead of us. The Spirit is with us and in us. But we are sent out ahead of Jesus to prepare the way to be poured out like drink offerings wherever we're going. We're preparing the way to be poured out in New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, New York, South Dakota, wherever we're sent in North America to be poured out to prepare the way for Jesus with all of our foibles. And in verse two, it says this, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. The harvest is plentiful. He's the Lord of the harvest and it's his field. All of it is his. We're just going out to it and we're working in it. Dan talked uh, the first night about those six words. And one of them that has been coming up for me over and over in this season of planting, it's a two-year-long season, is confidence. It's incredibly hard for me to be confident in myself, which is a good thing. But confidence is a really hard thing when it seems like so many things are going wrong. But we are sent into his field. He's the Lord of the harvest. He has sent us. So we can go confidently. We can go boldly. Now, after Dan talked about this, and I knew I'd be talking about this, and I'm a practitioner who doesn't always lead by what I say, I thought to myself, I am, there's all these areas where I'm trying to grow, and all kinds of areas where a church is struggling. One of them is finding a worship leader. So hard to do that right now. And I've been kind of passive and timid as I've asked people to help us and join us. But there's one person who's come to mind as I've prayed and thought about this, and I haven't actually myself reached out to him. It's been one of our board members who's kind of been the in-between person. And I thought to myself, I am being far too passive, far too timid. I am not going out like he is the Lord of the harvest. I am not leading like this is his field. I've asked him, please provide. Why am I shrinking back? And so yesterday, as I was preparing this, I thought, I need to call this guy. And I'm going to tell him what Dan told me to tell him. (laughs) And I'm going to do it confidently and boldly. I'm going to say, what's true? So-and-so, I called him. I left him a message. He hasn't called me back. We'll see if he ever does. (laughs) But I said, so-and-so, God is moving in our church. His presence is there. And I believe that he is doing something special. And you keep coming to mind whenever I pray. Other people have told me about you. I know you're committed to another church. But I think you should pray about it. I would love to have lunch. I would love to talk this through. Thank you. And at least we could become friends. And I hung up because he's the Lord of the harvest. We could go out with confidence and boldness and ask people, Will you join us? I think the Lord might be calling you. And it's up to them to be obedient from there. So it's up to him to be obedient from there. But we can be obedient because he is, and confident because he is Lord of the harvest. And so into our three points. Verse three. Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Verse three. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. We hear this over and over again in church planting. We hear it every Sunday at the end of our service when we're sent. Go. It's, it's in our name. Always forward. The imperative to go. And this is the consistent message I heard here at Wellspring that I've heard in Always Forward is go. It was kind of in my mind. I, I think it was from the beginning at Wellspring. Wellspring. This is the best church I've been a part of, and I love it, and I love Billy and Jenna. They're brothers and sisters, pastors and mentors. But I knew in my heart that that we will never stay here. Because from the beginning, we knew that you don't stay, you go. You go. You're sent, and I've heard this over and over again. And that's the beauty of Anglicanism. And that's why it shouldn't be a surprise to us or our people that we're sent because every Sunday, we have a sending out. Everybody is on mission and sent out. And the beauty of Anglicanism also is that we don't plant autonomous, lone churches. That we are sent by our bishop, by our diocese, by our network, by our mother churches. We're sent. Something some, uh, a friend, Tim, told me. Um, I think WallSpring was happy to get rid of him. <laughs> so... Tim, yeah. <laughs> so Tim Sue just told me when I was ordained. He said, "Don't ever underestimate the power of ordination, the power of having hands laid on you, and being sent." We are sent. It's in our liturgy, and it's a part of our ethos. We're sent. At my confirmation, um, our diocese is, a little, is Reformational Anglicanism and also charismatic. And so when Billy and our bishop prayed for my wife and I, at confirmation is they speaking in tongues. They had a word from the Lord. I hadn't heard that in a long time, but it was very comforting to hear that. They had a word from the Lord. And I think it was our bis- my bishop who said, Kempton, the image I get for you is an arrow. You're an arrow. So being from the Navajo reservation, I have images of the Southwestern landscape, a Navajo flute playing in the background. I'm joking. <laughs> but that was all stomped out in a good way when Billy said when I said I don't know what this means and Billy said you're an arrow when you shoot out an arrow it doesn't come back you're being sent and so many times over the past 2 years that's come to mind I just want to stop doing this and go back to Wellspring I'm comfortable at Wellspring I'm comfortable in Denver I know it much better than I do Santa Fe and I just want to go back we're not a boomerang it's an arrow we're sent Sometimes we do have to come back, but for most of us, it's your scent. You're not coming back, you go. And for some of us, it's right now, it's go. You're about to be sent, you're about to plant, but some of us, and this is where I am, we have to go again to the places we already are. The past two years has definitely been a disruption to all of our lives. And for me, I started out with all these ideas, all these plans, all these things I was going to do, and then six months in, that all went out the door. And what happened after that was about two years of trying to do things, and they didn't work. Trying to give out ideas, and they just didn't work because of opening, closing, masks, no masks, trying to navigate all the trickiness of the past two years. And so it made me like, I don't even want to try anything new. I don't even want to lead. I'm just tired. I'm I'm just going to kind of get by. And so I felt myself because of what's happened in the last two years, tired, complacent, given up a lot of dreams and hopes. And so for the, the word for some of us, it has been for me is go again, go again on those things that you've lost fire for go again. Where have you given up? Where have you lost sight of things? Go again. I'd imagine that's the word for a lot of us here. For me, it was gathering the team. I was very excited, on my tiptoes, ready to go and do that. And there's two years, and now it's developing those people. And I felt really tired. No, I'll talk about some of that. I've just been tired, beat down. But God is saying, go again. Develop your team well. Use the people I've given you well. Go again. I think that's the word for some of us is go for the first time, and some of of us go again with boldness. As Dan said, encouragement, confidence, perseverance, expectation, and hope. Go and go again. Now, in verse four, and this is the second point don't be distracted. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. No purse, no bag, no sandals. Don't greet anybody. I don't think he's saying be a jerk. Don't plan for anything. Because later on in chapter 22, he says to take these very things. But here he says, and he's not saying these things are bad, but I think that he's saying two things. And the first thing I think he's saying is focus on the mission. Don't take things that are going to encumber you and distract you. Focus on the message and the mission. The mission is in chapter, and the message and the mission are in in verse nine. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's the message. That's the mission. Heal the sick. Proclaim the kingdom. Don't be encumbered and distracted by anything else. And it's incredibly hard to not be distracted. Incredibly hard to keep your life, your mind, your work from being cluttered. I just came off a, um, a vacation and my wife and I were decluttering our house, and so we were getting all these, we've only been in our house three years, so we just have bags and bags of stuff we don't need. And our laundry room is a disaster. We walk in, it's the first room we walk into, it's our mud room and our laundry room. And you walk into it, and I just feel, felt anxiety build up because there's clothes, I'm, I'm telling, I'm literally airing out my laundry, our laundry right now. <laughs> um, you walk into my house, past the garage, and it's just like shoes, clothes, toys. It just like, gives me anxiety walking into this room. And so one of the projects we did is we just basically gutted it, fixed everything so that laundry has become an afterthought. Our, our, our mudroom laundry room is now, you walk into it and I just feel like, oh, we got rid of all the clutter. We got rid of lots of clothes. We got rid of all kinds of shoes and things we didn't need. So I walk into this room right when you walk into the house and it sets the tone for the house. It's not cluttered. There's a system in place to where laundry is just an afterthought. So that now we can walk into our house without feeling anxious, but also my wife doesn't spend all of her time and energy on all these piles of laundry, but she can focus on the mission, our children, that she could spend more time with them and love them and play with them. And I could do that too. But we had to declutter and focus on what's most important.
0: Hey friends, wanted to let you know of our next CPTI, Church Planter Training Intensive. Uh, the next one is coming up January 30th through February 2nd here in Greensboro, North Carolina. You get to come to my home church here at the Cathedral at uh, Church of the Redeemer. This training is, is truly an intensive for all. All of the things you need to know to get started and get up and get ready and be well-equipped to step into the work of church planting. More information is available at our website, always-forward.com. You'll see a button up there at the top that says events. Click on the training intensive and you will find all the information that you need to register as well. But we hope that you'll join us for this sacramental, missional, gospel-centered time of Church Planter Training, January 30th through February 2nd, Greensboro, North Carolina.
1: And there are so many distractions that we can have as planters and as pastors. And I think there are at least three that I could think of where we have distractions and where we need to focus. And one of the ones that I found in planting where we can be distracted is because, is theological differences. Um, Anglicans are nerds. They love theology. They love reading. And oftentimes that makes us feel like, well, this is, this is what I think. This is what you think. We're very different. So I don't know if we could partner with you on secondary things. But what I've found is that theological differences are very important. We are resurrection Anglican church. It's in the name. It's in our ethos. It's in our liturgy. We are unabashedly Anglican. But that's only a pan-ultimate thing. The ultimate things are the gospel and the kingdom of God. And so I've tried to find ways where we could partner with others who are believing of the gospel, that the resurrection is true, that there's a presence of the spirit in worship. Find those people in Santa Fe, those pastors, and partner with them. And we would not be where we are as a church if it weren't for kingdom relationships in our city. For example, our first six months of being in Santa Fe, I had a loose friendship with the pastor at a PCA church there. And so uh, we have many theological similarities. He was a church planter in California, so we got along really well. And so we went there as our kind of home base for the first six months. We attended church there. We stayed in the back. We didn't, like, try to recruit people, anything like that. We just went there to worship. Other Sundays, I went and visited other churches, but that was kind of our home base. And we got to know a few families. And from those six months of being at this PCA church, three of the five families who became our our launch team, one of those those bad Zoom calls, three of those families came from this PCA church. And it was such a good relationship that we had a sending service at this PCA church where the elders laid hands on all of us and sent us out. And I preached at this service. How amazing is that? We would not be where we are if it weren't for that kind of relationship. We meet in an Assemblies of God church. And this comes because... I was friend, I, we have this pastor's group, we meet monthly of gospel preaching churches in the city, and that's where these relationships started. And so when I said, it's getting too cold, um, my backyard is awful because we live by a really busy street and it's so loud, we need to move somewhere else. An AOG pastor said, hey, we have a youth room, it's about 3,000 square feet, we're not using it in COVID, so you guys could use it as long as you need it. It's dirty, it's not very pretty, but it's cheap and it's a place to meet. And we've been there the last year and a half. And it's been such a blessing to us. It's where we've grown. We've had so many baptisms there. So many good things in this space. Another one is that we're starting some evangelistic stuff at our church. And we're going to partner with a mega church in Albuquerque about an hour away. They can do stuff that we can't. And so we're partnering with them in this work. In fact, I met with somebody this past week from that church who leads their evangelistic work. In Santa Fe, because he loves Santa Fe, he's from Santa Fe, we met at this place, Upper Canyon Road, which is like, somebody told me, it's a Tonia Street in Santa Fe. It's, um, so it's just crazy to think of doing anything there, but he's prayed about it. Carissa has looked at this plot of land, and he's like, I'm a builder. I've been praying for this land, so if you, let's meet there and pray and see what God does. It's partnering with people for the kingdom. There's no way that I could even dream of doing anything on that street. It's the most expensive street in Santa Fe. But he wants to meet and pray and see what God's going to do. And the last one is we're trying to move to from the place that we are now to meet somewhere that's a little bit easier to find because when you're three churches meeting and we're back in the corner and you have to walk through a courtyard and all these doors, people have a hard time finding us, so we need to move. So I'm talking with uh, a Seventh-day Adventist church. Because I know the pastor who used to live in my neighborhood, and I've run into him on the trails. Begin with a relationship, and now it could grow to a gospel kingdom partnership. We can't get distracted with theological differences that are secondary. The second thing is political. I'm not gonna say much about this, but just don't get caught up in political differences. It will kill your church. I had inclinations during COVID. And I so badly wanted to share them. And I still don't know if it was right to not share them. But I do look back now and I think, I am so thankful I didn't say what I wanted to say in some situations. I'm so thankful I didn't push the leanings that I have on the church. Because it kept our very diverse church together. And I, I I was at the limit one week. I was like, if this keeps going, I have to say something. Thankfully, some things changed in our city, and I didn't have to do that. And I look back now, and I think, oh, if, if it was two weeks longer, I don't know where the church would have been if I said something. I am so glad that I didn't let my— and we have to be discerning and, and talking to others, of course, and these aren't unimportant differences. But don't get caught up in, in political differences. The last thing that we sometimes don't think about is Anglicans' is leadership. We don't focus on it. I I didn't when we went in. Anglicans are known for scholars, as scholars, theologians, as I said, nerds. It's a great thing, and that's why I love Anglicanism. The deep and the rich theology that they have. I've always longed for that. But we're not known today for our great leaders. And I don't think that's a good thing. And so I think that we do have to focus on how we lead our people, how we lead our churches. And we have to do things that are practical. I've had the same, like having a coach. I've had the same coach for the past three years. And I look back now and, and I've told my wife, I said, I don't know how we would have gone through, how I would have gone through these past three years if I didn't have a coach who knew me, who loved me, who has a view outside of Santa Fe. He's in Pennsylvania. His name is uh, J.R. Briggs with Kairos Partnership. Dan has the same coach. But he has a different view than I do. And he experiences as a church planter and as a leader. And I desperately need that. I've needed that over the past three years. He helps me refocus, reframe. He checks my heart and he guides me. And there were parts of this past year that I've thought, I wish my coach focused more on like Numbers, and finances, and the nuts and bolts. But he always starts out asking, how are you doing, Kempton? And that always derails my nuts and bolts questions. <laughs> and he deals with where I am as a leader. And I need that. And I've realized that over the past two years, my soul would be in such a bad place if it weren't for a coach looking out for me. The nuts and bolts and strategy, yes, but also who I am and where I am. It reminds me of Stuart Ruck's talk four years ago when he said that church planting will take deep soul work and deep skill work. And it absolutely does. We have to know ourselves. We have to dig into our story some because into a cohort this past last week with my diocese, we dug into our stories. I've never done that before, but it brought out things that happened in seventh grade in eighth grade in my high school years and then moving to Denver that inform how I'm leading now and how I step back and I don't engage when I should, but it's this work of leadership that oftentimes we as Anglicans don't do. And I think that we absolutely have to, to be good leaders. And we have to focus on this idea of leadership. Um, Because as Jesus says, the harvest is full. We have to focus on who we are as leaders during COVID, one of the travesties of that time in New Mexico was the down south where my wife lives as uh, hatch green chili, the best chili in the world. But what happened during COVID is that there weren't enough people to harvest what was in the fields. And so a lot of it went to waste and it affected the most popular question in Santa Fe, red or green chili on your meal. It was a collateral ripple effect to the rest of society from what was happening down south. But in a more serious way, what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, that Ukraine and um, other places in Belarus being bread baskets of the world, that because of what's happening there, there are ripple effects and collateral damage in the rest of the world. In Africa, in the poorest nations, people are going hungry and starving because of what's happening in another part of the world, because the harvest isn't being collected. There's collateral damage all over the world from that. A few weeks ago, I was riding my bike. I'll tie this together. A few weeks ago, I was riding my bike and I was doing this leisure thing for self care, riding my bike because I love doing that. But I was crossing this street, and coming towards me were two Navajo men, probably my age, probably from the same place where I came from, Tuba City, Arizona, or that area on the reservation. But I knew that they were probably my age, even though most people would think they look much older than me. But because of how hard their lives have been, they look different. But I knew they're Navajo, and I thought, I bet they have kids. I bet these men have kids back on the reservation. And I had to pull over on my bike and think, I'm doing this thing, riding my bike, for leisure and recreation. I'm going home to a wife I love and loves me. I have three kids I love. I have a car with a garage. I thought only rich people had cars with uh, uh, garages when I grew up. That's what I'm going home to. And there are these two men, probably from the same area, same age, probably with kids too, living on the streets. My wife and I went home to my hometown, Gallup, a few weeks ago, and we were just astounded with the amount of homeless people, every one of them Navajo men, everywhere. And I thought to myself, as I was sitting on that bench, I am so thankful that there were people who generations ago saw that the harvest was plentiful. They focused on the mission, And they went to my people because my grandmother became a Christian and then my grandfather did. And so my dad grew up in a Christian home and my mom a little later in life, but before they were married, she became a Christian. So I grew up in a Christian home and now both my parents have jobs though. They were separated and grew up in a broken home. I grew up in a home where Jesus was taught, where we went to church. And now I live A life that is just, I don't know really any other Native men living like I do. Because generations ago, some Christians saw that the harvest is plentiful, that we have to focus on the mission, we won't be distracted, and they took the gospel to my people. There is collateral damage when we don't take our leadership seriously. It's not only bad for the people there, but the ripple effect through society. It's why we have to focus on who we are as leaders and how we lead our people. It's important. It's hard. Harvesting is hard. It's costly. It's tiring. But we do have to have perseverance and boldness in this work. So some of us, it's go. Go again. Don't be distracted because the harvest is full. And the last one is abide. And this is in verses three and four. Because I think Jesus is saying something else with don't take all this stuff. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Don't be distracted is the first thing I think he's saying with this. But the second thing is abide in me. Trust in me. Grow independence on me and not all these other things. Trust in me and I will show you how I can provide. And how I will provide. And it will surprise you. I know he's saying this because after Luke denies Jesus. Jesus says this in Luke 22. What is the verse? 33 and 35. But, but, but he replied that it's Peter. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered him. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you know me. Then Jesus asked him, When I sent you without a purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. Church planting, pastoring, will get you in deeper than you think you can handle. It will make you say, I'm in too deep. I'm in over my head. And it will make you ask, and see, if you really believe, 2 Peter 1:3, God's power has given us everything we need to live life. We need for life and godliness through our knowing the one who called us into his own glory and goodness. Planting will make you ask, do I really believe that? Has he really given me everything? Is it really true that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church? He sends them out without distractions and seeming to set it up to where they will have to depend on Jesus. That if they don't depend on him, they will drown. That Jesus sends us in, as Billy said. Well, that, that, that might have been the breakout session. He will send us so far out into the deep that we will flounder and drown without him. And I think that's what he's designed here for the disciples. And it's what happens in church planting. And I think that it is right that in church planting and in leading that we should say sometimes, I am in over my head. I don't know what to do. Is Jesus enough? Will he provide? Can I really abide when everything seems to be going down? When everything seems to be not going to plan? Can I abide? Can I trust him? Church planters, we always think, I think. What do I not have enough of? I don't have enough people. don't have enough money. We don't have a building. We don't have a music leader. All these things we don't have enough of or we don't even have anything of. In those times, can you abide? Can I abide? And it's vital that we admit that we can't do this on our own. This is probably demonic to think self-help in this situation. We need God's help. We need His provision, and we have to admit that. There have been so many times in this two years, I've felt like I'm in too deep. When we had to gather a team, I said earlier I was excited, but that took a long time to get to, because when I first got there, we were like three months in, and I thought, how am I going to do this? How am I going to go from introduction to acquaintance, and then find our way to asking Will you leave your church and join us? I just thought, how am I going to do this? So in that way, COVID was good because it made me act. It pushed me and God provided in amazing ways because I definitely shot up and above myself with our first people and those that I asked. They were just like great people and it was scary to ask them, but God provided. I felt over my head. Now in training our team, where it feels like I, I checked out on some things because it's just been a hard two years. I feel like, I feel over my head for the last few months. I've been thinking about it and I finally admitted it to our team that we feel fractured, that I've not been leading well, and I want to address it. And it took me a long time to send that email. I am in mean, over my head. But I'm depending on Jesus. Another time, this resurrection season just passed. It was the hardest time of planting so far. Uh, we had two people leave who were leaders in our church, and not in a good way. And it was incredibly hard to do that right, and to do it at all. Emotionally, uh, tied to them, wanting to care for them pastorally, we sat around tables and we talked and prayed and dreamed about the future. And all of a sudden, Resurrection Sunday, they're gone. And then after that, put me into... This, just this downward spiral. I took a few days off, which ended up just being in bed right after Resurrection Sunday. But it was, it, was, it was a coming together of emotional, spiritual issues, battles, and physical stuff that I have when it starts to, when summer comes around. And I just had no energy and I just felt awful. All I could get out for about two weeks was a sermon. That's all I could do. And about the fourth or fifth Sunday into Resurrection, usually I am like, Up here, I was down here. And one Sunday, this is the bottom of it, I couldn't even run through my sermon once. I was sitting in our kids' area, and I didn't have enough energy to even run through my sermon. And almost in tears, I thought, God, I don't know how I'm going to lead. I don't know how I'm going to mentally get through this sermon, because I can't even do it right now. But a couple Sundays later, that time drove me, to my morning time, drove me to abide, and an encouragement came that one of our our first guys who joined us, he's a scientist and he loves to talk about that. He's a theoretician, and he loves to tell you about that. Uh, his name's Christopher, and I love him. He is the most scientifically minded person I've ever met. But he came up to me one Sunday, and he said, "Kempton, I don't get this often, but on my way here, I heard a word from the Lord." At least I think it was, because I don't come up with this stuff. And he said, Kempton, it seemed like the Lord said, you're going to look back at this time with joy. And he knew what I was going through. We had a moment, because he teared up, and so did I. And I thought to myself, where's the joy right now? This is so hard. But it was an incredible reminder to abide. And that if I'm abiding in him, he will in me. And he's there. Jesus is there. We have to abide. And that's what I've seen over and over again, pushed from always forward, from my network, from my diocese. So we have to abide. Even and especially in the tough seasons, because they push us into dependence on God. So what practices are you doing, church planters, to abide? Abide. Because as we've heard over and over, you can't give what you don't take. And so how are you abiding before those hard times come to prepare you for them? And for some of us, where is God inviting you to go in over your head? Whether you're a church planter, you're a mother church, you're a network, you're a diocese leader, a canon. Where is God calling you to go in over your head? Because that's where you find him and that's where you learn to abide. Now, skipping down it in chapter 10 to verses 17 through 20, it says this. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They returned with joy. For me, always forward, my synod gatherings, coming to Wellspring, meeting with our network. It's a rhythm of going out to the harvest and then coming back and celebrating with joy what God is doing. And these coming back, these coming back times, this rhythm of being together is absolutely essential for my wife. And I. we were talking about this last night. These kind of gatherings are essential for us to make it. Being with our network, being with our diocese, being with our mother church, being with Always Forward, we have to have these rhythms of going out and coming back in and celebrating with joy what God is doing And so we have to have those, wherever you are, make time to do these things, make time to celebrate. And if you're a leader, make space for planters to celebrate and come back with joy. I was saying to, so last night during the Eucharist, I leaned over to my wife and I was just in tears constantly. And I said to her, I love celebrating, but I am so glad Dan is up there and I get to be here in joy, taking a break from the harvest some and celebrating with a joyful heart, what God is doing. And so we have to have those rhythms of joy. So uh, verse 18. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice That your names are written in heaven. You're okay to rejoice and be joyful about the authority I've given you. But there is a deeper, a greater, more enduring, more everlasting joy in your identity that your name is written. You're mine and I am yours. That is the greater thing to rejoice in because all this stuff is going to happen when you plant. You're going to be questioned. You're going to question yourself constantly. But you have to be able to come back and say, where is my identity? Where is my greater joy? It has to be that we are Jesus's. We have our identity in him. And he loves us and that we have been named. Um, Finishing up that really hard season, the resurrection season where I was down here, um, came, as we know, Pentecost Sunday. And it was a really hard resurrection season. Those whole six or seven weeks, forgive me for not knowing how long it is, really tough. But Carissa and I were, I was preparing a sermon series for on the spirit. And Carissa and I were praying a lot and talking a lot about the spirit during this really hard time. And Friday night before resurrection uh, Sunday, uh, no, Pentecost Sunday, Carissa prayed for me, which we should do more, but we don't do that often. But she laid hands on me and she prayed for me in front of our fireplace as we're sitting there. And I just, my energies are so low and beat down. And she prayed for me that I would be filled with the spirit. And she knows that I've prayed for this for years. And that I'd have the gift of tongues. Now, I grew up with tongues all around me. I never, never, never came to me. I never spoke in tongues. I never even felt the inclination to. But I, as I got older and in seminary, I, I longed to. And it didn't happen. And she knew that I I've prayed for this for years. And she prayed for me to speak in tongues. Nothing happened then. We went to bed. Um, Saturday came, praying for Sunday. And then Sunday morning came. Um, End of this really long season. I didn't know it was the end. But Sunday morning, I get to the church about two hours before anybody else. And I run to the sermon. I pray over all the spaces. And I learned from Billy, praying over and touching every chair. And so I was doing that. And... I felt like the Lord was saying, Kempton, lower your guard just a little. Lower your guard. Bring down the barriers just a little. And I didn't quite know what that meant as I was praying and I had worship music playing. And so I I kind of like, I don't know what that means, but I I let the guard down just a little bit. And all of a sudden, these noises came from me. (laughs) And I thought, what is this? My tongue has never moved this way before. And almost immediately after doing that, I just started crying. Crying, crying, crying. And I am more like the people questioning in Acts 2 than the actual speaker in tongues. Thinking there's some natural explanation to this. And I thought, what is going on? I was just crying and crying. And so I hid behind our sound table, the sound booth, and I hid in this little corner just in case anybody came in. And if anybody comes in, I don't know what I'm going to tell them. And I I, I tried to pull myself together, and I stopped. I thought, what is this? And I felt like, let your guard down just a little bit. And it was just barely letting the barrier down. And I just started speaking in tongues again. And the tears came again. And And I collect myself, and I thought, this is, am I doing this? And so I kept experimenting. And this went for about 45 minutes. I would pull myself together. And then I let my guard down. And I'd speak in tongues. And then I would just cry. And I just had Kleenex all over me in the back. Everywhere. My nose, everything was cleaned out. Tears were gone. I was dehydrated. But over and over again in this period, it felt like every time those tears would flow, God was saying, you're where I've called you to be. I love you. And I'm here with you over and over again for that 45 minute period. Abide in me and I in you. I am enough. I know you've had a hard season. I am with you. So that was the end of that season. I didn't know it. There's still hard things, but it was an incredible thing to know that he is with me. His spirit is here and his spirit is with you as well. And all that you go to, especially the hardest times, is when we're called to abide. When we follow the command to go, when we're not getting distracted, focusing on the mission and the message, we're abiding in him because our names are written. And I've been thinking about this verse uh, verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning over and over again the past few weeks. And we are in a cosmic battle. We might think we're just planting a church. We might think we're just inviting people to a church. We might think it's by chance that we're in the neighborhood we're in. We might think it's a coincidence that the people God has brought are just there. But every piece of it is a cosmic battle. When our greeters greet people, when our people pick up coffee and they're late and they get their Sunday and everybody's waiting for the coffee, when we lay hands on people, When our scripture reader reads scripture, it's a cosmic battle. Every piece of it. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, it is a cosmic battle we're in between heaven and hell. But as Dan reminded us, Jesus wins. The evil powers of this world will not prevail against this church. Though sometimes it may feel like that, we're in a cosmic battle. We're called to focus on the mission, and he is with us. So let us not be distracted, knowing that Jesus won. And so our strategy is to go, to go again, focus on the mission, focus on the message, abide in Christ. And it begins like all of our ordinations begin at the cross. Maybe that's our strategy, the cross. That's where it begins. Face down, prostrate in front of the cross. That's what we do. And so we are called to this work. Abby, Brad, Joseph, Justin, Liz, Chris, Joshua, Chad, Seth, Alistair, Lennart, Christine, Jesse, John, Terry, Leo, Ben, Janie, Patricia, David, Pete, Tony, Lisa, Carissa, Anetta. Sarah, Jesse, Sharon, Matthew, Natalie, John, Hannah, Andy, Monica, Daniel, Nathaniel, Seth, Nick, Molly, Cody, Katie, Taylor, Paul, Drew, Kevin. This is everybody at the conference. Harmon, Christopher, Mark one, Mark two, Ken, Pete, Logan, Tuck, Jim, Tyler, Bruce, James, Greg, Astor, Todd, whoops, Luke, Vicki, Cheryl, Aaron, Terry, Scott, Adam, Peter, Beth, Bill, Bernice, Tyler. Theron, Mary Lee, and Richard. You're not just registered with this conference, but your names are written. You've been called. Go in the power of the spirit and know that you're doing his good work. And your identity is not in anything that you do, your successes or failures, but your identity is in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this calling that you've given us. We feel so inadequate so often. Help us in those times to abide in you, every one of us here. Remind us our names are written on your palm and that you love us and you're with us. And be with the leaders and always forward in our diocese. Guide them and protect them, give them vision hope, encouragement, boldness, and confidence in you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening
0: to the Always Forward podcast. Visit us at www.always-forward.com for more resources, to submit your questions, or to interact with us. See you next time.